Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Man, good morning, good morning, good morning. This morning, I want to take you on a journey. Can we go on a journey? Can we do that thing where we use our imagination for a moment? <laughs> Let's go on a journey. It is, uh, we're going to head to Israel, and uh, we're actually going to go to the city of Jerusalem. And the time period is the year 730 B.C., the nation at that time is uh, under threat of attack uh, from a northern country. At that time, the name was Aram. It's what's modern-day Syria today. And they have joined an alliance with the uh, northern uh, part of the Hebrew people. They had split off, and uh, you might remember I talked about this last week, into two nations, uh, Israel and Judah. And so the nation of Israel had joined forces with Aram, and the two kings had come together. And, uh, and they were threatening an attack on the city of Jerusalem and on a king at that time whose name was Ahaz. And as we enter the city, we're going to make our way through the streets and we're going to head up to an aqueduct. It's called an aqueduct of the upper pool. And it's here at the aqueduct of the upper pool in what's known as the washerman's field or launderer's field. Yes, you might be thinking washing clothes and those kind of things, similar in that part of the city. But at the upper aqueduct of that city, the washerman's Field, there is a location and something significant happens at this location. Not only at this time, at 730 BC with Ahaz, but his son Hezekiah to follow him, there'll be also something very significant that'll happen in this same location. It might not spark memories of any significance to you. What is the upper pool at the aqueduct of, of the upper pool at, at the washerman's field. Maybe, uh, you know, if you've been around church, you probably don't even know what that is. Maybe the first time you, you, you've heard of it, if you've read through, you might have just read right past it and, and skipped over it. But it's, it's significant to both of these two kings in their history, and they were both faced with a particular situation and a decision that needed to be made at this location. Both were leading during times of political and economic and spiritual darkness and decline. And both kings ruled during, uh, both kings ruled during the life and the ministry of a prophet and his name was Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. I want to look at each king and, and each of their situations this morning. And through this, we're going to discover a question that each and every one of us must answer at some point in time and oftentimes at multiple points in time in our life. First king that we're going to look at is Ahaz. Again, 730 BC, he was the king of Judah. And scripture tells us that he was not a good king. He was not a good king. So the prophecies that we're going to look at in the book of Isaiah that we oftentimes uh, highlight here at Christmas time, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 about the virgin will be with child and be given the name Emmanuel, God with us and for to us or unto us a child is born, a son is given and the government will be upon our shoulders and he will be wonderful counselor and mighty God and everlasting father and prince of 
feast. The context of all of this comes at a time in Israel's history that to really understand, you have to actually go to the history books of the Bible. And so we're going we're gonna to look in 2 Kings today. We're going to look at chapter 16. And then later on, we're going to look at, at Ahaz's son, whose name was Hezekiah. In 2 Kings 18. And that gives us the historical context of later when you're reading the prophetic book of Isaiah. I'm trying to help you as you read the Bible to make sense of things. When you're reading through the book of Isaiah, it's a prophetic time. And he is prophesying during a time in Israel's history. And so to understand the context of what's happening, you've got to go back then to 2 Kings. And you'll see the context of what's happening here. So let's go 2 Kings chapter 16. This is the context of what's happening at this time. And it says this, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. How many of you remember 20 years old? Some of you here are closer to that than others. He became king at 20 years old. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 16 years. So he reigned until he was 36 years old. And he did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord his God as his ancestor David had done. So what it tells us is, is again, as a king of Judah, he was following in the line uh, of David that God had made a covenant with David. There would always be a king on the throne. Well, as Israel split off, Judah became where that prophecy was being fulfilled and that covenant promise was being fulfilled. And so Ahaz is that king, but he did not do, uh, he was not a good king. He did not do according to what his father David, his ancestor David had done. Instead, he followed the example of the kings of Israel, even sacrificing his own son in the fire. Can you imagine? He was, he was an adulterous king leading the people into idolatry and even sacrificing his own son in the fire. He imitated the detestable practices of the pagan nations of the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the pagan shrines and on the hills and under every green tree. He was not worshiping the Lord God. In fact, this was a time of not only political and economic struggles and a time where there was a, a military threat and attack against the nation but also it was a time of spiritual darkness for the nation of Judah. He was leading the people into idolatry, openly rebelling against God. And some of the kings uh, throughout this, you'll see that they started out okay and then blundered later, but he didn't even start out okay. He started out uh, disobeying the Lord his entire life. And he faced one of the biggest political crises of the entire history in the nation of, of Israel. Look, look, look at verses 5 and 6 to explain what's happening at this time. King Rezin of Aram and King Pekah of Israel declared war on Ahaz. This is what I was talking about. They joined forces. They besieged Jerusalem but did not conquer it. At that time, the king of Edom recovered the town of Elath for Edom, and he drove out the people of Judah and sent Edomites to live there as they do to this day. 
So here's the magnitude of what's happening. Israel and Aram have joined forces. Their two kings, Rezin and Pekah, have joined forces. And they're coming against Judah, trying to take the city of Jerusalem. And they're threatening attack. As well, the king of Edom has come in. And he's driven out others. And he's filled it with, with his own people. So there is a lot that's happening. And there's some decisions that have to be made. How is Ahaz going to lead in this time? And how is he going to respond to the threat of attack from these people? Well, he faced three options of how to deal with these political events. The first one is this. He could join Syria and Israel, and he could form a coalition together. In fact, that's what they wanted to happen. The reason that, that Israel and Aram had come together in a coalition is because they recognized that Assyria, who was a, a stronger nation, was, was on the attack, and, and they were a brutal people, and they were attacking, and they thought, maybe if we join forces, and if we can get the people of Judah to join forces with us, perhaps we can have a big enough army that we can attack Assyria. And when Ahaz said, no, no, I'm not doing that. They said, then we're going to come and attack. We're going to force you out. We're going to put, you can read it in the history. We're going to force you out and we're going to put our own king in place. And that way we can rally together and we can attack Assyria. So he had a choice. Maybe I should join forces. But the problem is even if he joined forces with them, it would be at spear point. You know, we don't have guns back then. It wouldn't be gun point, It'd be spear point or whatever. He would be forced and he would be even replaced as king or lose some of his power. And he didn't want to do that. So that wasn't an attractive option for Ahaz. The second is, is that he could join Assyria. But that's a bit tricky. You see, with, 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 instead of joining Syria and Israel, Ahaz could say, you know what? I recognize, man, Assyria is this big power. They're this big nation. They're my enemies. Rather than, than fight against them, let's join them, Right. It's just better to join them. I, I could join them. Now, now there's some things that you have to understand. You know, if you make friends with your enemy, there's a cost to that as well. <clears throat> Ahaz might remain as king, but he would be subject to the king of Assyria. And in essence, he would become his vassal king. He would be a representative king to the king of Assyria. And, uh, and, 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 and it would cost him financially as well. But you'd rather have Assyria as your friend than your enemy, right? I mean, if they're too big, might as well join them uh, rather than, than let them attack us. But the problem is, is that, again, Assyria had a massive military, but they also had a very brutal style in which they would fight. They would take no prisoners. I mean, it was, it was brutal. And if you know anything about Assyria, the capital of uh, Assyria, the capital city of Assyria, does anybody know what the capital city of Assyria is? Nineveh. You remember, remember who God called to go to Nineveh? A guy by the name of who? Jonah, right? Yeah, the guy that got swallowed by a big fish because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Because he wanted judgment to fall on, on Assyria. He wanted judgment to fall on the people of Nineveh because they were a brutal, brutal people. This is a brutal people. They, 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 they were known for their, their psychological warfare. They had been specially trained and, and equipped with the finest siege equipment that there was. And they used public killings and psychological tactics oftentimes to get the upper hand. And we're going to see some of their psychological tactics later on in, in 2 Kings chapter 18 with Ahaz's son Hezekiah. I mentioned the size of their army. In fact, in one battle alone, Isaiah 35, 36 says that they had 185,000 troops surrounding 
Jerusalem at that time. That's a lot. That's a huge army. So you can understand why that might be an attractive option for Ahaz. But option number three, Ahaz can trust God. Now, you and I go, yes, that's door, give me door number three. That's door number three. Yes, door number three. And that sounds great, right? That sounds like that's easy. Just trust God. Until you're in a situation where a large army is attacking and there's threats against you. And then at that point, uh, a, a, a God who, who, who doesn't seem to be physically present with you and these armies who seem to be physically present, all of a sudden you begin to think, trust God. Can I really trust God? Is that really the best way? Can I, can I really do that? that and, and and trusting God might seem passive yeah don't trust the coalition trust God instead right and that that's kind of the 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 situation that Ahaz was in this was kind of the 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 the, the place where he was in and what he was being asked to do whom can I defend who or who can I depend on when I'm facing impossible odds when I'm facing a situation that's too big for me, a situation that I don't know the answer and I don't know how I'm gonna, how, where, where it's gonna come, where is the hope, how am I, what am I gonna do? Who do I trust in that situation? Who do I trust? Well, here's where the location of the upper pool that we talked about earlier, the aqueduct, as we made our journey through the city of Jerusalem and we come to the aqueduct of the upper pool at the washerman's field or the, the launderer's field, here's where it comes in. Isaiah chapter 7. Verses 3 and 4. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field, and say to him, Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. Because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezim and Aram and the son of Ramalia, that's Pekah, of Israel. He's faced with a choice. Here's Isaiah told by the Lord, I want you to go to that place. And here's what I want you to tell Ahaz. Listen, be careful what you're considering. Be careful of the options you're choosing. Listen, listen, listen. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God says, don't be afraid. He says, trust him. Don't be afraid of these two smoldering wicks. They, they seem like they're about to start a big fire. They're just, they're just smoke. Don't, don't, don't fear them. Trust me. Trust me. You're considering coalitions. Don't, don't fear them. And, and don't think that, that Assyria, as mighty as their armies are, is the, is the best answer for you. Don't, don't trust them. Trust God instead. And to reinforce this idea of trust, this is where Isaiah 7, 14, this prophetic verse we looked at last week. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she'll give birth to a son, and call him, him Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah counsels him, trust, trust God, and here's the sign, the virgin will be with child, and you're going to name him Emmanuel, God with us. Yes, I, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. You are sending a baby to help me against the attacks of these enemy armies. I mean, wow. I, 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 yeah, that's the answer. I, man, now that you told me that, Isaiah, I'm good to go. I, I'm just going to trust the Lord because God is sending a baby to deal with these armies. But his name's Emmanuel. You know, it's kind of significant that God is with us. But, 
but a baby. I don't know about you, but when there's a massive army facing you and that's what the sign is, that doesn't seem to make sense and doesn't necessarily give us um, all of the good vibes and the good feels of, of being able to trust. Am I alone in that? Well, as you can imagine, Ahaz did not choose to trust God. He chose to trust Assyria. He chose door number two. He chose option number two. We look at this. It's found in 2 Kings 16. Again, this is the history and the context. And verse 7 says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath, uh, Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I'm your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver, remember it cost him, the silver and the gold that was found in where? The house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent presents to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him and the king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Ker and he killed Rezin. That's it. See that? It worked. I, I trusted the king of Assyria and I had to pay him a high price. But that high price, that, that took care of it because now Assyria went and they went into Damascus, took care of it, killed Rezin. Israel's no longer in a coalition. We're going to back down. Uh, and, and now I'm saying, well, there's a cost to it. I mean, now I have to be a vassal and I have to serve the, the king of Assyria and I have to pay tribute to him. But hey, uh, <laughs> it's worth it, right? Because now my immediate problem is done. I trusted in the king of Assyria. I trusted in the armies of Assyria and whoo, look at that. It's all done. Except for the fact that here's what happened. Ahaz's idolatry and worship of other idols and worship God and leading uh, the nation of Judah into spiritual decline and against the worship of the Lord only got worse. And if you read through 2 Kings chapter 16, what you find is, is that when he himself went up, he saw an altar. And that altar was, was uh, to a, a, a foreign and a pagan god. And he, 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 he got his, his priest Uzziah to come. And, and they were, they were die, uh, writing down and, and, and almost they didn't have cameras back then, but drawing a picture of what it looked like. And, and then you're going to come back and you're going to make this altar. And this is what we're going to worship on. And he led the nation. He himself and the nation into even greater spiritual decline. Spiritual decline, another, another level. Who am I going to trust? When, when you're facing difficult situations, when you're facing impossible odds, when you're facing things that appear to be a threat in your life or things that appear to pile up, the question comes down to who do you trust? Who do you trust? Will you Will you trust the Lord or will you trust in your own plans? You see, trusting in God looks pretty scary when you seem to be outnumbered or when the odds seem to be stacked against you. And sometimes it's easy to want to bend our own convictions a little bit if we think that there's going to be a payoff. Hey, maybe I can bend my convictions. Maybe I can fudge things a little here. Maybe I can disobey a little bit here. Maybe I can find some help over here, even though I know that's not what the Lord wants. But hey, it's going to solve some of my immediate problems and, and, and initial problems. The problem is, is although that you might eliminate some immediate pressure, later on it doesn't solve the greater cost because it will cost you everything. It will eventually cost you everything. 
And it's in this context that Isaiah 9, 6 is also spoken to the king, King Ahaz, and also to us, for unto us, or for to us, a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The nation of, uh, uh, was defeated. Judah is at a low point. They're subject to a foreign king. They've trusted in the king of Assyria. And although it bought them some time temporarily, it, it, it would not solve the problem. Assyria was still going to come. People were feeling the stress. Nobody is worshiping God. And Isaiah predicts doom because of the bad decision that Ahaz had made. He predicts doom and judgment upon the nation. And in the middle of the darkness, God shows up with a prophecy that says, yes, there is judgment. Yes, it is dark, but there is hope. There is hope because what's coming is a, a, a child, a son who will be called wonderful counselor and mighty God and everlasting father and prince of peace. Last week, we talked about wonderful counselor, this amazing strategist. That's really what counselor is. This amazing strategist that helps us when we're facing certain situations and we need this wow, wow, wonderful, miracle working, uh, extraordinary, just wisdom in situations. And that God also not only has this wonderful wisdom, but he, he also has the authority for us to be able to carry out what he is telling us. Now today, he says number two, he will be called mighty God. And today I want to look at mighty God. I want to look at mighty God. And we understand that the prophecy refers ultimately to this time where we're celebrating at Christmas time, the birth of our savior, Jesus Christ, this baby who would be born in Bethlehem as we celebrate. And today we want to just talk about Jesus, the mighty God, Jesus, the mighty God. You see in Hebrew, it's the phrase El Gibber, G-I-B-B-O-R. And this is an important word because it carries the idea of a mighty warrior, a mighty warrior. It's used many times throughout the Old Testament, and, and usually it's found in a military context, a military context. Let me give you a few examples. How many remember the story of David and Goliath? Remember the story again? Does anybody remember what Goliath was called? He was called the Philistines what? He was called their champion, Right? Their champion. He was the champion of the Philistines. That word champion is that Hebrew word G-I-B-B-O-R. Giber. He was the champion of the Philistines. He was their supreme premier warrior. He was fighting on their behalf. If you go back even further to Genesis chapter 10 and verse 8, there is someone who's called Nimrod. And Nimrod is called the first mighty man on the earth. Mighty man, the first champion, mighty man, it's, it's the Hebrew word Gibor there. And the stories of Joshua and the armies of Israel as they conquered the land of promise and they took that, they were pagan inhabitants of the land and their soldiers were called men of valor. It's the same word, Gibor, men of valor. These are all words to describe the word sometimes is translated as warrior. In 2 Samuel 23, David had some folks that were called mighty men. They were loyal to him, and they were able to, to fight on his behalf. Large, large armies. I remember one of them who, 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 who took uh, Benaiah, who went into a, a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. I remember him. Right? Mighty men. These are mighty men. 
Geber, mighty men, mighty warriors. They did exploits and had courage in battle. That's what the word mighty means. It means hero. It means champion. It means warriors. Now, how many of you know we love our superheroes, don't we? We love our superheroes, don't we? I mean, in the ancient Greeks, they had Hercules, you know? But today we have, we have uh, Iron Man, right? Superman, Spider-Man, you know, Thor, come on. Captain America, although he, I don't know. Yeah, I guess extra, right? We love, we love these, these, these godlike superheroes, these mighty warriors who can take down armies and, and supernatural strength and, and all do amazing things, superhuman. Well, it's interesting because Isaiah says the child to be born will not just be a wonderful counselor, but he'll be both a wonderful counselor and a mighty warrior. A champion hero, a hero God, a warrior God, a champion God. <laughs> he will do amazing things for his people. Ahaz chose not to put his trust in this mighty God, but chose instead to form a coalition with what he believed to be a mighty foreign power. And it led them into a, a dark time spiritually. But let's fast forward another 33 years. So now we're going to fast forward 33 years into Israel's history. And another king comes on the scene. He is the son of Ahaz. And his name is Hezekiah. He's standing in the exact place where King Ahaz was in Jerusalem. And now he is facing the threat of the Assyrian armies. Why? Because he chose to trust God. And scripture tells us in 2 Kings chapter 18 that he actually rebelled against the king of Assyria. All of the altars and all of the things to worship other gods. When Hezekiah took over for his father, he said, we got to get rid of all of those things. And he began to get rid of all all of those, 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 those places where they would worship other gods. He was starting a spiritual revival in the nation of Judah. He says, we got to get back to worshiping the God of our ancestor, David. We've got to get back to worshiping this God, Jehovah God. And so he began to clean things up. But how many of you know when you start to clean things up, the enemy ain't happy about it. And he said, I ain't serving the king of Assyria. And so what happened, Assyria starts to come and they start to attack Israel. They start to attack, not Israel, they start to attack the city of Jerusalem. And they were the superpower of that day. And like I said, 185,000 troops come and they begin to surround the city. And Ahaz, that's the same question that Ahaz faced. Hezekiah faces. Look at it. Second Kings 18, two chapters over, because in between in Second Kings 17, you might get confused, but what happens is they talk about a new king, Hosea, that comes as the king of Israel. Again, that's the northern, so don't get confused. After Ahaz died, then you go over then to Israel's history. Then in Second Kings 18, you're back to Judah's history. I know that can get confusing, but if you're reading through your Bible, that's what I want you to understand, is there, it's documenting the history of both Israel and Judah. So in 16, we're talking about Ahaz and Judah. In 17, we're talking about Israel. Now in 18, we flip back over to Judah. Did I confuse everybody? Are you with me? Everybody with me? 
This is the way it goes, all right? And so Hezekiah takes over for his father. And, and in verse 17, 2 Kings 18, 17, the king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander of a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they came up to Jerusalem and they stopped, look at this, at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Same place, same place where Isaiah was told to go and talk to King Ahaz, his father, when Aram, Syria, and Israel were coming and threatening attack. Now Assyria has come, surrounded, threatening attack at this same place. That's not a fluke, friends. That's not a fluke. The Holy Spirit is detailing something out for us because this is a place where there is a question and there's a question of who are you going to trust? It's a question of who are you going to trust? Ahaz was, was, was faced with that question. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to join and just capitulate and join with Aram and Israel? Or are you going to trust the king of Assyria? No, 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 no. I'm challenging you. Are you going to trust the Lord? The Lord says, trust me. These are just smoldering wicks. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. But Ahaz didn't. What will Hezekiah do? This is, look at this. This is what the spokesman says for Assyria right here. We're facing these impossible odds. This is what the, he says, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have strategy and military strength, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Remember, I told you Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria. He said, I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to serve you. And look now. You are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces a man's hand and wounds him if he leans on it. Such as Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. Well, in Israel's past, oftentimes when they faced military advances or they faced something, what they would do is, is they would go to Egypt, the former superpower, and they would say, can you help us out, Pharaoh? Can you, remember, we were slaves for you and... We lived in your land. Yeah, God did all of that and, and everything. But will you help us out? So a lot of times they would go to Egypt. You'll see that. But then, then he says this. And if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God. Isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed? Saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Now, you and I both know that when Hezekiah was starting a, 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 a re kind of a, a hey, we're going to get back spiritually. We're going to, we're going to, we need to get back to renewal and revival and get back to the things. Of the Lord. When he was tearing down the altars, they were not the altars, but the enemy doesn't know that. The enemy just sees he tore down all these altars in terms of worship. And now he's saying you're going to trust in God. The enemy loves to twist and loves to try to deceive us. And he says, listen, who are you going to trust? You, he removed all those altars. You really think you can trust God? And this guy is not just talking to Hezekiah. He's up here at this washerman's field in this aqueduct. And, and, and this is a PR nightmare because he is, he is just letting all the people know and trying to instill fear. Remember I talked about what was one of the, tact, uh, one of the tactics of the Assyrian army? Psychological warfare. 
Psychological warfare. Before they ever attack, what they're doing is they're trying to cast doubt on God, trying to cast doubt on, on, on the strategy, trying to cast doubt on Hezekiah's leadership and his ability to be able to lead the people and, and to be able to help them to be set free. So here's Assyria. We're this large army. They could just come and attack, but instead they stop and they start all the psychological. You can't, don't trust Hezekiah. Hezekiah says trust in God. He says he's got a military. Strategy. He said, yeah, no other country has been able to withstand us. And he thinks, who are you? You're going to say, oh, I'm depending on God. I'm going to depend on God. Really? You really think that's going to work? Impossible odds. Impossible odds. And yet the question remains, Hezekiah, who are you going to trust? Ahaz? Who are you going to trust? Oh, I'm going to trust Assyria. It cost him. Hezekiah, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? And what happened is Hezekiah made a different decision. Instead of just capitulating and, 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 and trusting the king of Assyria and saying, Oh, no, I'm not going to rebel against you. Here you go. I'll become your vassal too. He goes into a time of prayer. He goes into the, the temple and he begins to fast and he begins to pray and he calls for the prophet Isaiah and he says, Isaiah, I need you. What am I going to do? I, I, I need you. And he calls and he comes for prayer. And, and in 2 Kings 19, 19, it records his prayer. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Same question, different answer. Who are you trusting, Hezekiah? You know what? I'm calling on the Lord, and I'm going to trust the mighty God. I'm going to trust the warrior God. I'm going to trust our champion God. I'm going to trust Jehovah because I believe, Emmanuel, that he is with us because this is what he's promised. And guess what happened? The result was one of the greatest military uh, uh, victories ever. God went to combat on behalf of Hezekiah and the people of Israel and did what no human army could do. Let's read about it. 2 Kings 19, flipping one page over, verses 35 and 37. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian troops. Woo-hoo! Right? When the, uh, when, when the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Can you imagine that scene? Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land, and he went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. And one day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons Adramelech and Sherezar killed him with their swords. They then escaped to the land of Ararat, and another son, Irahadon, Ir, I don't know, Irhadon, something, Irshadon, something, became the next king of Assyria. So guess what happened? Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust in your God? Are you going to trust? Is he able to deliver from my hand? Are you going to trust in him? And Hezekiah said, yes, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. 
And he went in and called on the name of the Lord. And God said, oh, yeah, you think you're a mighty power? Watch, I'm the champion, God. 185,000 troops. Oh, by the way, go home and you'll never be king again. Because guess what? Your sons are going to kill you while you try to go and worship your God. Because your God can't save you either. And you think he can. Watch this. Judgment is going to come. And a miracle took place. Why? Because we serve, friends, a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. He's the champion God. He's the warrior God. He's the God who delivers. Jeremiah said it this way in Jeremiah 32, 17. Oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. There is nothing too hard for you. Remember when the angel spoke to Mary? She said, well, how's this going to be? Nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is impossible with God. How, how will we answer? Some of you are facing some, some really difficult situations, some hard situations, and maybe uh, you're not at the aqueduct of the upper pool at the washerman or launderer's field. But you still face the same question whenever, whenever you're facing a situation that seems overwhelming and you don't know what to do. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? I know that some of you are facing impossible odds. This is what I know right now. I've had conversations with you, and there are some of you that are facing some what seems to be impossible odds. Some of you are up against it because of a physical diagnosis or something that the doctors are telling you, and, and it just seems impossible. And, and, and how, what are we going to do, and how are we going to handle this, and what decision are we going to make? There is a wonderful counselor, and there is a mighty God. Who are you going to trust? There are some of you that are facing some things financially that seem absolutely overwhelming. And what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? And maybe I should just play the lottery because I don't know how else I'm going to do this. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? There are some of you facing some family situations, marriage that, that you just don't even know, how is, this, how is my marriage going to work? How are we going to be able to find healing? What are we going to do? Or maybe there's some situations with your children and it just seems that things are odds or, or they're, they're just not following the Lord and you're just really concerned. How is this? What are we going to do? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? Some of you face the question. And that's the question that we all, am I going to trust myself? Am I going to trust my wisdom? Am I going to trust the wisdom of this world? Am I going to trust the, the way in which this world does things and says to do things? And, and this is how we ought to do it. Who, who are you going to trust? Well, the, hey, hey, Ahaz, this will be a sign to you. The, the, the virgin will, will, will conceive and, and give birth to a son. And, and you're going to give him the name Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, good. So you're sending a baby. Yeah, that doesn't seem to make sense. He's the mighty God. How many times did certain situations and certain things that God asked people to do not make sense up front, yet it was the very thing that led to their miracle? Who are you going to trust? Jesus seems like the unlikely choice. He was the unlikely choice for Ahaz to trust God. And sometimes for us, it seems like the unlikely choice. How 2,000 years ago, this baby that was born in, in Bethlehem and, and this guy, Jesus, I mean, can I really trust him? I mean, do I even know if he's really God? I mean, they say he is, but maybe he was just a good teacher, or a good person or, or a prophet or somebody lived. How can somebody who lived 2,000 years ago help me over to that, help me with my situation right now? How can somebody who... How can that be? How can somebody live with help me? I need something now. I need something here, not something back then. 
Oh, but how it seems like the unlikely choice. But here's what I know. You can depend on Jesus because he is your mighty God. He is your champion God. He is your warrior God. You can trust in Jesus. If you hear nothing else that I say today, hear this. If you are facing an impossible situation, you can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus. If you were to take a survey of Jesus' life, you would discover that he's the mighty God. Kind of a paradox to, to a baby in a manger that he would be called mighty God. But Warren Wearsby summarized it this way. I love it. He said, yet even as a baby, Jesus Christ was a center of power. His birth affected the heavens and caused a dazzling star to appear. The star aroused the interest of the Magi and they left their homes and made a long and perilous journey to Jerusalem. Their announcement, the newborn king, unnerved Herod, the king at the time, and his court. Jesus' birth brought angels from heaven and simple shepherds from their flocks on the hillside. Midnight became midday as the glory of the Lord appeared to men. <laughs> he is the mighty God. You see the mighty power of Jesus Christ right in creation itself. His own disciple John wrote this in John 1.3. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that has been made. He himself Created, he, he, was, he, he created and made everything. No statement in scripture puts it more majestically than Hebrews chapter 1 right out the gate in verse 1. God, who at various times in different ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom, listen to this, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he has also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the champion God. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He is the creator and he is the sustainer and he is the provider and he is the mighty champion God. The mighty champion God. There is no power like Jesus. His, his power came in, in demonstrations. Luke tells everyone that, that when Jesus cast the demon out of a man, this was the response. Amazed. They were amazed and said to each other, what words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. No power of darkness, no power in hell is greater than our mighty champion God, Jesus. There is no power of darkness that can come against you and that can hold you down when you've got Jesus, your mighty God, fighting on your behalf. The powers of darkness cannot overcome the light of Jesus Christ. He is the mighty God. They were amazed. Because his teachings were, 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 were demonstrations. They came with demonstrations of power. And everyone was flocking him. In fact, we, we know there was one woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And, and she worked her way through the crowd. And she got up and thought, if I could just touch the hem of her garment. And, and when she did, when, when she did, it's just at once Jesus realized power had gone out from him. And he turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? And she was instantly healed. 12 years of suffering. Some of you have been suffering. 
and suffering and you're saying, is healing ever going to come? Is healing ever going to come? Is healing ever going to come? Friends, don't give up. Keep pressing in because we serve a mighty healing God and there is no sickness and there is no disease that he cannot heal. He is the mighty God. He is the mighty God. Jesus constantly went in this fallen world, wherever he went, he was met with opposition, whether it was in the form of sickness or spiritual ignorance or demonic uh, possession or oppression, even death itself. Yet, yet over and over again, the gospels reveal to us that God was at work through him, pushing back all of these forces in this dark world. Jesus unleashing the power of God through his Holy Spirit, the mighty God at work. Of course, probably the greatest the greatest act of power that he performed was, was the, his own death and resurrection, right? His own death and resurrection. Not, not, even, not even death could hold Jesus down. Not even death could hold Jesus down. In fact, Paul prayed for the Ephesians, and, and, uh, and I think it's a great prayer for us as well, that they might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. See, God raised Jesus from the dead, having loosed the pains of death, according to Acts 2.24, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Not even death can hold him down. Not even death can hold our mighty champion God down. Not even death can hold our mighty warrior God down. No matter what you're facing, you need to know that there is nothing that our God cannot do. Nothing is too difficult for him. And no matter what you're facing today, we serve a mighty God who is able, who is able, who is able to give you and bring you the victory and the miracle you need. He is a mighty God. He is a mighty God. In fact, speaking of his own life, Jesus said, I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody else that has that kind of power. Jesus is the mighty God. He is the champion God. And no matter what you're facing, he is the savior and the rescuer. And we all stand today as if we are Ahaz and Hezekiah. And we're at the upper, the aqueduct of the upper pool there at the washerman's field, the launderer's field. And we're asked the same question today. Worship team, will you come? We're asked the same question today. Who will you trust? Who are you going to trust? I, I don't know what circumstances individually you're facing. Some of you I've talked with. Some of you I know the situations and the circumstances you find yourselves in. I know that some of you are, are facing some decisions that are really, really difficult. And you don't know exactly what to do. You don't know what direction to go or how it's even going to work out. There are some of you that, that have some health things that are pressing in. Uh, and you're just like... I, The doctors are saying one thing, somebody else is saying another thing. What what decision? How are we gonna? What do we? What do we do? How are we gonna get through this? There are some of you you don't know if you're gonna have a job in a couple of weeks or a couple of days. You go to work, you don't even know if you're gonna make it through this week. Where the finances are gonna come and how we're gonna do this? Who are you gonna trust? Who are you gonna trust? You have different options and you've gone over them in your mind. Well, if I just did this, or maybe I should just do this, or maybe I should just do this. But today, one of those options is, are you going to trust the Lord? He's the wonderful counselor and he can give you wisdom, but he is also the mighty God who can bring deliverance, who can give you victory, 
who can give you peace, who can give you a miracle, who can turn a situation that seems impossible around where you go, have nothing to do but go, wow, God, wow, wow, wow. Friends, we serve a mighty God. And Jesus is the promised Savior, our mighty God. Will you put your trust in him this morning? Let's bow our heads this morning. Maybe you're here this morning or watching online and you have never, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've tried all kinds of different things. You've trusted in all kinds of people, all kinds of fixes, all kinds of answers, all kinds of ways, but you've never, you've never trusted in the Lord. You've never said, you know, I need, I need Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I, 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 I need him, whether it's battling with addiction and you need set free or uh, whatever it is, you've never, you've never truly trusted in Jesus, but this morning, you say, you know what, I recognize I need to put my trust in Jesus. I need to put my trust in Jesus and the power of not only his death, but his resurrection. And if that's you this morning and you, you say, I need to put my trust in Jesus, will you slip up your hand or let us know in the comments if you're watching online. Today, I need to put my trust in Jesus, maybe for the very first time. Or maybe you knew the Lord at one time, but you've walked away and you put your trust in other things. And today, the Lord is calling you back. He's calling you back. And you're saying, you know what, I need a re, re, I just need a, I need a fresh start. I need to just, again, give a, a fresh recommitment of my life and saying, Jesus, I surrender today. Anyone at all, I surrender today to you. Next, maybe you're here this morning, you know the Lord, you know the Lord, you have put your faith in Jesus, but you're facing some situations that you just, you're thinking, ah, oh, can I, can I, I just don't know, can I really trust God? And you're just needing some help in trusting God. You're needing some help. You're just, you are just right in the middle of it. You got circumstances that are overwhelming and you say, pastor, will you pray? I need the mighty God in the circumstances I'm facing. I know the Lord. I'm trying to trust in him. I need the mighty God for what I'm dealing with and what I'm facing. If that's you. Will you slip up your hand? I need the mighty God. I'm facing some things that are overwhelming. I'm facing some difficult circumstances and I don't know what to do. Uh, yeah, I need the mighty God. Jesus, right now, you see the hands that are raised. You know, God, those that are watching online, you're the mighty God. Today, we put our trust in you. We have a choice. We're like, we're like Ahaz and Hezekiah, but today we choose as Hezekiah did. We say, Jesus, I'm trusting in you. Jesus, I'm surrendering in you. Jesus, I'm trusting that you're going to go before me. I'm trusting that you're going to work before me and that, that you're going to be my champion, that you're going to go out before me. You're going to be my champion and that there's going to be a miracle on the other side of this. I'm trusting in you, Jesus. You're the mighty God. You're the mighty God. You're the mighty God. You're the mighty God. I pray miracles right now. I pray that today, if there's someone that is battling and stuck in addiction, that you will set them free in Jesus name. I pray father, if there's someone that's battling in their marriage, that God, you would bring healing and a miracle in their marriage, that you would mend families back together again, that Jesus, you would, you would just mend hearts. You call prodigals back home where it seems impossible and we're concerned and what's going to happen. God, I pray that there would just be a, an answer that, that this week, God, as, as, the, as, as you call in the steps of obedience, Lord, the trust that is there, that there would be a mighty work of provision that you would provide for people today. I pray miracles in situations. I pray healing. Father, you know those that are up against it and it just doesn't seem like they're, that, that, that they know what to do or they're faced with impossible things. I speak healing, mighty God, right now, healing in Jesus' name. Healing in Jesus name healing in Jesus name healing in Jesus name we thank you Lord you're our mighty God we bless you in Jesus name amen amen
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.